It's Monday night, 10 o'clock, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that dares comics and politics. We were doing that before. It was cool. I'm your host, Brett, back after an extended break. And joining me, as always, is my Costalata, who the uh, fort down while I'm gone. Hi, it's great to have you back on the show again. This is a, I, I prefer working as a team-up. I think it's a good way to be. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a little busy month, but to be back and uh, we've got an awesome show uh, to come back to, so I'm super excited for this. Uh, so we will dive right in, like introduce our our guests and talk how awesome they are, or like why amazing and why we're both excited for this. Um, so for those who don't know, there is an amazing comic universe that is uh, in its infancy called Catalyst Prime from Lion Forge. Uh, we've had uh, some of the creators on the previous episode and have praised it, how amazing this line is and how it does so much so well, so right. Uh, two of its creators are joining us tonight, uh, co-writers of Superb, David Walker and Dr. Gina Howard. Um, so Superb, teenager Kayla Tate, who is forced to move back to her hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, where the mysterious superhero Cosmosis the supposedly benevolent corporation foresight. What makes the series really unique is that that superhero, Joey, actually has Down syndrome. And I'm sure Lion Forge isn't just writing a series about and creating a series about it, actually working with the National Down Syndrome Society on the portrayal of the character and uh, is including educational material for readers. So join us is uh, Dr. Sheena Howard, uh, who's an associate professor of communication at Ryder University, whose focus is communications in the section of politics race, gender, and sexual orientation. Howard is an award-winning author, including a 2014 Eisner Award winner for her co-edited book, Comics, Politics, Race, and Representation. She's also the author of Black Identity Matrix and Critical Articulations of Race, Gender, and Sexual Orientation. Howard has appeared on NPR, Washington Post, ABC, PBS, and Graphic Policy Radio, which is like the best out of all this, uh, and other networks and documentaries as an expert on pop culture, race, politics, and sexual identity negotiation. 2016, she directed, produced, and wrote a documentary remix, Colorblind. She's also a byline Huffington Post, Curve Magazine, Philadelphia Inquirer, and more. And she is now co-writing Superb. And she's doing that with David F. Walker, who is also an award-winning comic book writer, author, maker, journalist, and educator. Uh, his work in comics include working with Dynamite, Marvel, IDW, Mikey, Mark, uh, Monkey Brain, and Dark Horse. He's a creator of YEA. The Adventures of Darius Logan. Uh, he's recognized as a leading scholar expert of African-American cinema. He's directed and produced films, written for numerous sites. He's a screen editor, film critic. He's taught courses such as documentary filmmaking, writing for comics, film criticism. We've got really, uh, two really smart guests tonight is what I'm saying, and really accomplished guests tonight. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We're really excited for doing this. Thanks for Happy having me. Appreciate it being here. Uh, so the thing I always like asking our guests to start off is how you got into creating cops. I think that that's always a interesting story to see how uh, got into the industry. So, Dr. Howard, how about you uh, kick it off about your, your little history? Well, I actually started um... – doing research on comics when I was doing my dissertation at Howard University. 
Um, so I was really coming from a cultural critical perspective, looking at race and gender in um, black comics specifically. Um, so I started out analyzing the boondocks, and uh, from there I just noticed the gap in the literature um, around the contributions of black uh, comic artists. Um, so I wrote the book, Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation, that won an Eisner Award, and that was kind of my entry really um, into the comics world, which um, is really the reason why I'm able to uh, be writing Superb with uh, David Walker right now. How about yourself, David? My, uh, oh, geez, let's see. Well, I uh, when I graduated high school, I went to the Joe Kubert School. I was going to be a, my plan was to be an artist and a writer, artist first, then a comic book writer after, and it um, didn't quite work out. I got kicked out of the Kubert School pretty early on. I was a young man with bad attitude problems. Um, I then went to school of visual arts, and before I flunked out of there, I kind of realized that I wasn't much of an artist. I wasn't particularly adept at drawing, and I was pretty lazy, but uh, writing came naturally. So I, I sort of shifted gears, and you know, at, by this point, the, the experiences at both of those schools I'd met already started meeting people in the comic industry. Um, you know, I was like 17, 18 years old, and and always kind of hung out on the peripheral, was always trying to develop series, but when you don't draw, it's very, very difficult. And then kind of got sidetracked by a bunch of other careers, including one in uh, film production and then one in journalism. And then uh, as I started to have my midlife crisis, I realized that, you know, the one thing I always wanted to do with my life was to create comics and that I needed to pursue that. And this was right around the time that the newspaper industry was dying off. I was an editor at a newspaper for close to a decade. And so I was, you know, really thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And I decided, well, let's give comics a shot. And, um, and so I just, I sort of dove back in, you know, head first, I guess. Um, that's, that's the super short version. I think you could probably do like a, a 12 episode HBO series on, on my life leading into comics, but it, it would, most of it would be a lot of miserable failure and, um, and, and a little bit of substance abuse. That's awesome. I love both of you guys' stories. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how'd you go, how'd you both come together to do Perv? That was, it's um, all Joe Illich's yeah. fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's my understanding that the editor, Joe Illich, got to pick his team. Um, And I know he he reached out to me, and I immediately was on board because I liked um, the story. I liked what Lion Forge uh, was trying to do, you know, comics for everyone. thought that was really important. And for me, I thought if I was going to get into comics as a writer, this would be the perfect place for me to start. Um, especially, you know, having an opportunity to write with David and learn from him um, and to just be around, you know, a cast of people who are moving in the direction that I would like to move in. Yeah, that's basically the same thing. For a lot of the projects, yeah. Yeah, Joe really, you know, I mean, I've known Joe for several years and um, 
And and I was actually kind of surprised when he reached out to me. I mean, I knew him before he went over to Lion Forge, and and I've been watching Lion Forge. I had my eye on him for a while, um, just because I, I I saw that they were they were doing some interesting and daring stuff. Um, you know, definitely struggling to find their their place in a market that is pretty cutthroat, but there was a lot of tenacity there. And then Joe reached out and was like, "Hey, are you interested in doing this?" And I was like, "Sure." And, um, and honestly, uh, you know, one of the one of the aspects was um, just that I, I saw the creative teams that he was putting together and the talent that he was tapping, and it, and a lot of it was creators that aren't necessarily always getting um, the first call to to you know to work on books. Like there's like an incredibly diverse lineup behind the scenes in terms of the talent working on the stuff. And that was really exciting to me. And, um, but there's not a feeling of like tokenism, which is also really good because sometimes you get that at some publishers. Mm-hmm. I just wrote a piece for um, comics beat about uh, lion forge as a project itself. And, and one of the things that I put in is that, it really proves that if you're going to have a list of the top talent in the industry, it's going to be diverse because that is the reality of what the top talent in the industry is. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I think that there's, um, you know, when, when Joe told me that, that Sheena was going to be involved, I was really excited because there's, by and large, there's no publishers taking chances on, on black women writers. They're, there's a ton that are doing independent stuff and self-published stuff, and, and I know some of them, um, you know, Spike Trotman and Regine Sawyer, people like that, um, Nyla Magruder, they're all friends of mine, and it's, you know, I'm constantly talking to editors at other publishers, I'm like, why aren't you working with, with any of these folks? And there's just sort of this ambivalence, and, and I was like, which we don't need to get into that right now, but it was <laughs> the fact that you know, uh, that, that, you know, I knew that Amy Chu was doing a book at Lion Forge. Amy Chu is a great friend of mine, and, and I watched her struggle to get work, and it was the fact that Joe and everyone at Lion Forge recognized that, that Sheena, or not Sheena, excuse me, sorry, that, that Amy was this, was this talent that I, I'd been working with, um, that I, I'd known since I was working at D.C. It was like, okay, they're they're putting their money where their mouth is, which was a really important thing to me. So how did the, how did the actual series come about? Cause I mean, we, I, I kind of described it in the beginning. I mean, it's really unique and, and not just it's two main characters, but you're also working with a national nonprofit to, you know, get the character characterization right and raise awareness. I mean, it's, I, you know, I can't think of too many, instances where something like this has been done in comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think... Um, um, Sheena, I'll let you go. Lion, yeah, Lion Forge, the owner, um, I think he had an idea or, or a basic premise for the story. Um, I think Joe Illich, you know, was called on to put together his team to, you know, kind of bring it to light, um, bring it to fruition. Um and I think this story is kind of really personal um, to the Lion Forge crew because it is, um, you know, so unique and so different. Um, and the National Down Syndrome Society 
came on later when they got wind um, that we were doing this thing with a, a lead character who has Down syndrome, and they came on later um, to kind of endorse the project and work with us, which was wonderful because that helps us, you know, reach some of the audience that we want to reach and expand our our fan base and our audience um, to people who may may not be checking for comics um, or 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 people who the comics industry at large may not be reaching out to, um, which I which I think was really cool. And one of the things that I really liked about it, this is that we are not experts at you know knowing the experiences of folks with Down syndrome, where it's not our life experience, and this you know institution. That's like that. That's who they are, and who they represent. And so, I feel a lot more confident as a reader reading this comic, knowing that like there are folks who have expertise in this area that are like, yeah, like going to make sure that representation isn't going to be a complete mess the way it can be when folks don't have expertise and familiarity with those things. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I think, you know, I for think me, it definitely helps. Go ahead, David. Yeah, Sorry. I, you know. Oh, even before um, the NDSS, you know, got got involved and, and, like, when Joe first approached me, one of the, you know, that was one of the things that attracted me to the, the project was, was the character of Jonah, the fact that he had Down syndrome. And, and I sort of went into it with this attitude of, like, well, you know, I want to do this because I want to give it my all. I don't want to mess this up. You know, other writers, you know, might not take it as seriously, might not take that responsibility as seriously. And, you know, I've done a lot of uh, volunteer work over the last, like, 10 years with kids with various different abilities and, and limitations. And um, and I, I'd never worked with any kids with Down syndrome before, but I'd, I'd worked with enough other kids that I was, like, I know how important these sort of things are to them. And not just to them, but to their families and to the world at large, because we really need to see better representation straight across the board. And and so that to me was was a huge factor. And you know, I was just in San Diego like a week and a half ago for Comic Con, and met there was people from the National Down Syndrome Society there. Um, I did a signing just a couple of days ago in conjunction with. Um, the local chapter of NDSS. And then yesterday I actually taught a workshop for a bunch of young adults with Down syndrome on how to create your own comics and superheroes. And, and like all of these experiences have, have just really sort of been very positive reaffirming uh, experiences. And, and because I think that a lot of times what happens is, is that we don't, get involved or get too interested in something unless it affects us directly. You know, it's like um, a lot of people don't necessarily think about Down syndrome unless somebody in their immediate family has Down syndrome, you know, mm-hmm. and where they don't think about, you name it, whatever it is. They don't think about cancer until it affects them. They don't think about, you know, autism until their kid is diagnosed. They don't think about all sorts of things. They don't think about, you know, uh, transgender until you know, someone in their family, you know, is going through the things that they go through. And I think that one of the things that we as people need to do is, like, start living outside of our own little bubbles, you know, and and embrace the – like I always say, diversity isn't just a marketing, you know, 
tactic. It has to be an ideology by which you live your life. And some days I'm not that good at it, but most days I, I try my hardest. Some days I become a total social recluse, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, I think for me as a as a writer, I think about just the history of representation. And, you know, history tells us that if a, if a minority group or a group that's really underrepresented in mass media um, starts to be written, it is important that you get it right and it's important that you take it seriously and it's important that you think about the responsibility that you have because misrepresentation um, can cause damage to a community. And so since we're writing um, a black female lead as well as a, a lead with Down syndrome, those two things are seriously important to get it right um, and especially with the character Jonah who has Down syndrome you know, to really, really balance, you know, trying to get it right, um, but not, but also not making the character stereotypical. Um, and so I think it's great as well that we're working with the National Down Syndrome Society to kind of help with that balance. I, I actually have kind of a question that, that spins out of that. Were there changes to Jonah um, that were made? Because it sounds like everything was and the comic was created before the NDSS got involved. Um, were there changes after they got involved? And for you two as creators, you know, it, it sounds like, you know you're aware, but maybe you didn't work with, you know, individual with Down syndrome uh, a lot, or you know, weren't in that world. Do you feel like more comfortable, or like you can breathe a little bit easier knowing you have this organization you can work with, to get it right? Personally, I feel more comfortable, um, you know, having them work with us. At the end of the day, you know, it's going to be, you know, we're going to have the final say as writers. You know, no one's going to, like, steer um, steer in any significant way, you know, what we actually write and what we think is best, especially what Joe, the editor, uh, thinks is best. But it, it, it does make me feel better knowing that we can run, you know, scripts by them um, and get the okay. Um for, for me personally. Yeah, and, you know, I am, um, yeah, it, it's been it's been incredibly helpful. And, you know, for, you know, I think maybe we've just sort of been fortunate in that going into it, they, 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 there were no major issues with, this, with, you know, the issues that we turned in and that they looked at. And there was a couple notes here and there that they, that they gave us. And, and it was, it was really, you know, it was actually pretty helpful. And, you know, I had, um, before the NDSS had come on board, I had actually reached out to a friend of mine who was a special ed teacher who, who works with um, kids with Down syndrome. And so I had, I had asked him, hey, can I come in and talk to your students and, and meet some of them? And, and we were in the process of, of working all that out when the NDSS came on board. So I was like, okay, I don't need to, I don't need to do that right now. You know, I still might do it at some other point, but that's that's sort of the, some of the stuff that I I always think about when I do these things. I mean, it's um, because you 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 want to like for me, I want I want there to be a level of sincerity and honesty there, and you know, at the same time, we're, we're writing stories that are fantastical, and and you know, it's they're superheroes, they've got superpowers, and um, you know, and we and we talked about that. You know that you know that like 
Jonah's got powers, but his powers don't change the fact that he has Down syndrome. He still has that. And that was something that was really important, I think, going into this was, was, was that decision. It's like that this isn't it, – it's not going to change this particular aspect of who he is. And, and, and I think that was, like, maybe one of the big concerns that, you know, probably the NDSS had going in, like, like this sort of notion that with getting superpowers, suddenly we were going to make him, quote, unquote, you know, I hate to use the word normal because that's not what I really mean, but it's late and I'm running out of adjectives for the day. So, <laughs> um, but I think you guys, you, you guys get what I'm saying, you know. Yeah, yeah definitely. And hopefully, um, and, and that's the big thing is like, I, I think a lot of times what I didn't want to do is I, I personally didn't want, to portray Jonah as like, oh, there's something incredibly wrong with him that we need, we need to come up with some sort of supernatural cure for. No, he's got superpowers, but he also has these other issues. And that's, I, I think those are the best characters, period, the best superheroes, you know? I mean, that was definitely something that, I appreciated in reading the comic is that you actually get a sense of Jonah's, you know, it's only one issue is out so far and you have a real sense of Jonah's personality and how he sees the world. And I, his conversation with, um, I'm sorry, his conversation with Kayla. Thank you. Golly. I got to go. In which she sort of says like, Oh, you still like kids stuff. And he sort of like calls her on like not like it's not that different from you know I'm not the same as I was you you might think that I am and like sort of people projecting their assumptions about him as a person with Down syndrome um, but him also not it's not like you read his dialogue and you think that he sounds exactly like everybody else I, I think you know looking at this from the outside at least it feels like he struck a, a good balance in that. Yeah, I well, think that was important, is, and I think that the the. Uh the comic is, you know, character driven. So, you know, that's important um, to me as a writer, um, you know, to, to have the readers really relate to these characters and feel for these characters and for people to see themselves in these characters, you know, as special needs kids um, as well as kids who are not special needs. Um, and I, I'm glad you, you, you made the comment about the balance was for me, um, that's exactly, you know, what I was going for, that balance of, yes, we can see that Jonah um, does have Down syndrome, but also that he can do all of these, you know, cool sorts of things, and we're not overdoing it. We're not beating you over the head with it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big thing that I wanted to try to avoid was I didn't want, you know, there, there's a fine line between um, making sure that you've got, that you're that you're dealing with representation and that you're you're giving humanity to your characters and then getting up on a soapbox and just beating people over the head with with your with your you know with your message and the the first and foremost thing I think is that we we want to be entertained and then in the process of being entertained there's nothing wrong with um giving people something to really think about something to chew on but you know um like comic books are supposed to be, there, there, there has to be a level of fun to them. And, you know, there, but I also think that there also needs to be, um, 
there, there is a responsibility to readers and 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 to whomever you're representing because without that, then what you get is some of the junk that shows up out there. So, um, but I, I feel you know, like the, the kind of the test for me was was just just this past weekend, you know, at the signing, and I met a bunch of kids, and then I then I taught the class the next day, and it was just like, okay, you know, like. If anybody else, like, if nobody else is happy with it, that's fine. But, like, at this point, everybody I'm meeting, especially, like, and, and I think more, it's more parents than it is some of the kids with Down syndrome. Like, these parents have been, like, so appreciative. It's, and I just feel like, look, all I'm doing is writing. You know, you're being parents. You're raising kids. You're doing, you're doing the real hard work. Like, all I'm doing is just sitting at a computer just going, okay, should he lift a bus over his head or should it be a car? You know, things like that. So, <laughs> so you've gotten that feedback from, from, from folks with Down syndrome as well, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, I had – I don't get very emotional in public, but when I was doing a signing Saturday, this, this kid um, named Trey, he was about 10 years old, just, like, ran up and like jumped on me and gave me this hug. Like, I don't hug anybody, right? <laughs> you know, that's like not my thing. And like, first there was this initial shock. Like there's a, there's a kid who's hugging me. Like, I hope no one calls the cops, you know? And then, um, and his parents were just like, yeah, he just, he really likes what you're doing. And, you know, and he's a hugger. I hope you're cool with that. And I was like, and then I, you know, and I'm trying not to cry, right? I'm trying to be Mr. Tough, macho, comic book writer. And meanwhile, I'm like on the verge of just having a total emotional meltdown. But it was great, you know, um, and just, you know, and that was just one. I must have met 30 or 40 kids um, at the signing and then another like 20 the next day. And it was just a really great um you know, it was just a really great feeling for me. And, and it was this sort of, this moment where you process everything. I think, you know, when you're a writer, you spend so much time sequestered in your own home. Like, I, I'm not one of those writers who goes into a um, coffee shop or whatever. I, I'm home all day long. There's there's some times where I don't leave the house at all. And and then you interact with people, you interact with fans at conventions or signings, but that's like, that's sort of the limit sometimes of what you're doing. And then to have something like this, especially two days in a row was, was really intense. And it was like, okay, I, I I'm feeling even better. So I think we've done a great book, you know, um, Sheena and I have done a, a really good job of writing and the art team is killing it. Mm-hmm. And the humor in the book worked too. Like I just, just the bus driver just like I actually laughed about, <laughs> about his line. Like, you think it's going to be the usual, I the the usual this, and then it just gets that much more snarky in the next page. It was really well placed how the artist was like. Next page, oh, that's really the clincher. So <laughs> I want to also talk know, a little. Sorry, I was just going to say Ray is uh, Ray Anthony uh, Height who's the artist, LeBeau Underwood, the inker, and Veronica, um, oh, I can't think of Veronica's last name, the colorist, I'm drawing a blank, I'm sorry, but like they're, they're a really, truly incredible team, and that's, 
you know, for me as a writer, I'm only as good as, you know, in this case, as good as my co-writer and my art team. But but a comic is only as comics writing is only as good as how it's translated into the art. Uh, that's my, you know, that goes back to my my days of, you know, art school and, and showing up to class either hungover or drunk. But um, but really, like the visuals to me are always paramount. And and mm-hmm. Ray just, I've been wanting to work with him for years. So that's that's also like another great aspect of this book. One thing I also want to make sure to talk about is Kayla Tate. Um, when the first promotional stuff uh, that had specific information around the comics came out, uh, they had these profiles of the major characters that were done like redacted government files that show you, you know, what the government or perhaps the corporation in question, I wasn't quite clear, um, were saying about the different characters in the story. And my favorite thing was the Kayla Tate profile, redacted profile, which basically says that the reason that she's dangerous is because she's a good activist. And as an activist myself, I was like, yes, the superpowers are dangerous because we're good at, at activism. Um, and, you know, like, I, I, I loved seeing that recognized as a specific, like, thing that a character engages in and that it's something which is powerful, um, and that's something which the establishment finds threatening, just like right up front there. Yeah, and I think you'll see, well, you'll definitely see, not think, you'll definitely see um, more of Kayla um, as the issues go on and more of her um, in arc, or in season two. Um, uh, uh, so I look forward to further, you know, writing her and developing her character because we also really don't see many black female leads that, you know, get the recognition that they should get, um, you know, in the comics industry. Um, so that was exciting for me personally to be writing a black female character and being able to kind of, um, you know, have some access to control the narrative a little bit about her personality, dimensions, who she is, what she's about. And me, as um, an activist in my own right, um, kind of very, very personal character for me um, in the work that I, social justice work that I do, and some of those subtle elements around social justice that we can kind of put into the the uh, comic um, was important to me. Definitely. And, you know, I'm not as familiar, I mean, you've, you've primarily been done critical work, which is up, but from David's fiction, like, I, I really felt like David's just really been nailing it when it comes to talking about political issues in superhero comics, like, just reliably across the board from Occupy Avengers, which I, I, I'm going to tell you, like, when I heard that title, as someone who was involved in Occupy, I was, like, going to have a heart attack, and then I found out David was doing it, and I was like, oh, this okay, if anyone's going to pull this off, it's going to be David. And David totally did. Um, and, in, you know, in Nighthawk and in uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, just like really knowing how to talk about activism and politics and comics, which is some of our favorite themes, of course, on the podcast. Um, yeah, I know that that's in good hands. So, Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because, like I said, I, I think that there's a um... – you, you got you got to walk that balance, you know. You you there's 
we have something to say. If you have something to say, you should you should you should try to say it, but you don't necessarily want to beat people over the head with it. And and I feel like, you know, there was, um, you know, I'm just I I'm sort of coming into this industry. I shouldn't say coming into it, sort of re-entering this industry a little bit later in life. And and so my attitude was like, okay, so what's the worst that can happen? They'll, they'll, people will fire me. I I won't get any more work. You know, I can always there's there's a million other things that I can do. And if I have to, I can go get a job washing dishes. But I, I don't want to write stories that waste people's time. Um, and I don't think that comics should be treated as a waste of time. Like I I view them as a as a legitimate art form. Um, they, they no different than any other form of you know, popular entertainment. And so I just, I've been trying to write with everything that I do. I, I've been trying to write something that I would, I would read and that I would be engaged in and, and not just something just for the sake of doing it, which a lot of times you read comics and it feels like, Oh, th- this person really isn't feeling what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, like I just want, I want to have as much fun as humanly possible. And, you know, sometimes getting a little political can be fun. So there's, you know, that's just sort of who I am. Well, what, what, it also just is sort of like you're way more, but I just, I know from when I'm reading it, like you have a much more astute political analysis and are more aware of the political conversations than a lot of the people who really bungle them. So like, yes, there's a question of like some people can be heavy handed or whatever, but sometimes people also just literally don't know what they're talking about. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy. Um, and that's, and, and like, it's clear that like, and I can tell from the quotes that I read from, from Dr. Sheena Howard um, during, you know, you had a fabulous interview uh, in the back of the latest issue of Noble actually um, ran a really great interview with, with, with Dr. Howard um, and that you guys both like have excellent analysis and that shows. And I appreciate that because I just don't have time for people who have to have bad takes and to like put that into art that I have to then read. So like it helps that I think we're aligned in a lot of ways, although not entirely in every way, shape or form or anything. I, but, but it also just simply helps that you guys like actually know this stuff. And it's not something that you're putting on because you feel like your work isn't serious unless you do it. You like actually are experts and think about these things and it's, it, and it's reflected in the work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just, um, my background is in, you know, I'm I'm coming from a social justice perspective. Um, you know, before writing Superb, um, I was blogging for the Huffington Post specifically on social justice issues around police brutality, um, race, gender, um, heterosexism in the media. Um, and so my my perspective um and my politics um I couldn't write a comic without my politics um, being involved in the process and in the characters um, or characters that I'm I'm developing. Um, so, uh, yeah. And you know, I I don't. It's funny because I don't necessarily think of myself as as that political of a person. Um, and and it's just it's like well, this is who I am, you know. Um, and, and, and I guess if it's there, it's there. I, I accept that other people see it. Um, you know, so much of what I do really is, is just, is coming from this place of, I, I mean, I was a pretty weird kid. So I was, you know, fascinated with movies and, and, and comics and, 
not just reading comics and watching movies, but I was like that that kid who made my mom buy me every book on making movies and things like that. So I really studied these things as a kid. And um, and a lot of what I do now as an adult is just it's coming from a place of this is what I wanted when I was a kid and I never got it. You know, mm. these are, this is this is even when I was working on Power Man and Iron Fist, you know, which I loved that book as a kid, but it was like there was always something more that I wanted from that book, and that's what I tried to bring to it when I when I took over writing it. Now, if that's political, I guess it's political. I mean, I was raised in a political household. You know, my I mean, my my I was raised by my mom and my grandparents, and my you know my grandparents marched with Dr. King and. Um, and and they were definitely you know I guess you could say movers and shakers within the civil rights movement be, even before I was born. So that pedigree was always there, but I I, I don't think about it that much. It, it's not like um, like I, I just think of myself as just a guy who once in a while will say, oh that's really wrong, you know, or hey that's really right, and 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 then I, and I'm constantly trying to check myself. And make sure that I'm I'm doing, you know, that I'm doing stuff respectfully. One of the questions that you guys uh, that I saw, oh my gosh, Brett totally texted me to say he had a good follow-up question, and I'm stepping no, all no, over. No, no, no. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that um, I saw from Dr. Howard's uh, interview in the issue of Noble's number three. By the way, Noble is another fantastic comic that Lion Forge is doing that you guys should all be reading. I am enjoying greatly. Um, uh, she was talking about LGBTQ representation in comics and what there is to come. And I, I don't know like who the LGBTQ characters in Lion Forge are other than that astronaut from the first uh, like launch episode issue. I know she's a lesbian. I don't really know who the big LGBTQ characters are going to be, but it seems like pretty clear that there are multiple LGBTQ characters on the horizon for the series. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think you can. I think you can expect a variety of representations going forward. You know, I want to speak specifically to Superb. I think you can expect um, a variety of representations as you know the issues go on. Um, so that's not outside of the box. Um, that we may introduce, you know, characters that are on, are, are queer in some way. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, the big thing for me is like, um, is going, okay, well, why are we doing, why, why are you going to do this with, the, with this character, no matter what it is, whether the, you decide, oh, this character is going to be queer or this character is going to have some sort of, um, a, you know, disability or whatever it might be, and go, okay, well, why are we doing this and how are we going to do this? And, and if we do it, let's make sure we do it right. And, and so those conversations have been there. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely more on the horizon. Um, and I think that even, you know, I can only speak for myself. You know, I have this I, – I, I was raised in an era of pop culture that was far from responsible, right? You know, I was just <laughs> talking to a group of people about this the other day where – I mean, I was raised on movies, you know, like the James Bond movies, which I loved as a kid. When I look at them now, I'm like, whoa, wow, wait a sec. We got some serious <laughs> problems with these movies, right? Um, but I, I, like, sometimes I see the, the after effects of that even within my own work where, 
um, it'll be like I'll be working on a script, I'll be developing it, and and the one thing that always happens, and I admit this very freely, I can I can put together an entire outline for a whole story, and be done with it, and then look at it and go, wow, you know, I I I got it, I hit the I hit the ball out of the, the out of the park, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, there's not a single woman in this story, period. And then I'm like, how is this possible? And then I realize that, oh, well, part of it's because I was weaned on on pop culture entertainment that was incredibly, you know, sexist and, and non-inclusive. And and then I'm like, oh, man, you got to go back to the drawing board on this. And it's it's – I don't know which is more frustrating, the fact that I'm still sort of tainted by that sort of stuff um, or, or the fact that it's like – well, that is the most frustrating aspect of it. But then I just go back and figure out where I can make my changes and 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 make sure that I'm still, you know, I'm not going, oh, okay, I'm just going to throw a woman in here just to have a woman in here. Um, or I'm not going to, you know, put a person of color in here just to have a person of color in here. What is what I think some creators do? Um, the moment you make the decision to, to do that, you want to make sure that that, that that character still has their humanity as opposed to, there's nothing worse. We've all seen those, you know, like that, that the story where it's like, Oh, this isn't like character is not a woman. She's a prop, you know, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick always talks about, you know, the, 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 the sexy lamp or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, if, if you replace the woman with a lamp, would it make a difference? And it's like, well, if the answer is it doesn't really make a difference and you've done something wrong with that character, you know? Well, my question actually kind of spins out of for for you two as creators, you know, the the thing that really strikes me every time I've heard Joe about this or seen Joe um, and any other creators, you know, there's the sense of that there's open sandbox where you can do anything and, you know, and actually have discussions of does this make sense? Why is this character that way? Can we do this uh, thing here? You know, really about those small details and you have this massive sandbox to be able to work in and that default seem to be this white Christian and man um, that you really are able to do anything and especially since this is a brand new universe you're the you know, third comic out of the, the pipeline for it like as creators you know, how how does it strike you how does it feel to be able to do that sort of thing that you're not locked into, you know, the default, you know, base, the big level of, of comic characters. Well, for me, I, I think you still, um, you know, as writers and creators, you still have to make a concerted effort to represent um, people who are underrepresented, misrepresented, or not represented at all, whether it's, you know, black females, whether it's LGBTQ characters, um, whether it's characters with special needs. You, for those sorts of groups, you still have to make concerted efforts um, to make comics for everyone or to make media for everyone, especially because those underrepresented groups are not sitting at, you know, the table when ideas are being hashed out. Um, you know, they don't have a say because you're, they're usually not there um behind the scenes um, saying that we should have, you know, these diverse characters. Um, For me personally, writing these diverse characters, having the opportunity to possibly have 
of LGBTQ characters um, going forward. Um, it's exciting for me, especially for someone who um, is a black female and a lesbian who has seen very limited representations in comics specifically, but in media in general. Um, it's exciting for me to be able to have the power to possibly create and write these characters and to really say that, hey, you know, I know that I can write these characters um, in a way that would do them justice since I do have those sorts of personal experiences um, as a, a triple jeopardy minority um, in America. So it's, re- it's really exciting. It's a great opportunity Um and it, it it allows us to expand, you know, the base of, of readership and to bring different people in and people in that may not um, have picked up a comic book before. Um, my entry into comics was The Boondocks, and that was strictly because it was a political comic strip, and I'm interested in, you know, political content um, across different forms of media. So I'd say it's a um, fantastic opportunity to be, you know, to have the opportunity to write. Uh, within the sandbox, as you put it, of characters. That's awesome. Yeah, and for me, you know, for me, a lot of it is I, I'm sort of to a point now where it's like, um, you know, again, comics is, is something that I always wanted to do as a, as a kid. I'm doing it now as an adult. and But I'm already thinking about, you know, what are some of my next moves? What are the next things that I want to explore as a creator and as a human being? And, but the other thing too is like, I just want to start, it's interesting because I, I teach part-time and, and I, there's always one or two students that I have, I, I teach at Portland State University, writing for comics class. There's always one or two students who have, who have pretty solid ideas, but they're, what they're looking for is some sort of permission to, to do the work. And I tell them, I can't really give you the permission. Either you're going to do it or you're not. I can, I can tell you what I think is good about your idea or where, where there might be some problems. But one of the things that I really want to, that I'm trying to do at this point is um, at the very least help people realize that they have that potential to do great things and to tell stories. And, you know, um, I think that like what's great about Superb and what Sheena and I and, and the rest of the team are doing is that we've got this cast of characters, and it's, it's not just our books. It's like this in all the Lion Forge books, where it's like there's there's characters in there that people are going to look at and go, wow, you you can put a character like this in a comic? And then the moment somebody says something like that to me, I say, yeah, not only that, you can create the comics. And, and it's because the people who always say to me, I didn't know you could do something like this, are by and large, the vast majority of the time, are the people who are excluded from it in the first place. So not only are we excluded from representation, we're excluded or we think that we are excluded from the creative process. And I just, you know, I happen to be really lucky when I was still a kid and, and I knew that I wanted to do comics. I met um, an artist, writer by the name of Ron Wilson, who I happened to run into at San Diego Comic-Con first time in like 35 years, you know. So he was the first professional creator I met who also happened to be a black man. I didn't know that black guys made comics. I didn't know black people made comics at that point in my life, really. I was like probably 12 or 13 when I met him, and I told him, I really want to make comics. 
And he was like, well, then do it. You can do it. There's nothing stopping you. And, like, that's what I want to keep doing as I move forward. You know, even if I stop, were to stop making comics tomorrow, I would never stop encouraging people, especially people who feel they're underrepresented, to, uh, to do that and, and to give them that, that sense that there's nothing stopping you. I mean, there's a million things stopping you. You just can't let them stop you, you know. You just have to sort of go, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you. You know, I'll publish it myself. Okay, so it kind of, kind of goes to uh, the next question I actually had. So you both mentioned that the, the characters you're working with and creating, you, you don't see in comics. You just You don't. Um, that, you know, as I kind of said in my last question, there's, there's a default character. Uh, for as writers, because you don't see them, do you feel more pressure to do these characters justice? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I think I mentioned this, you know, earlier on in, in the show that, you know, for me, you know, you just want to get it right, especially, especially with a with a lead character that's special needs. Um, you just want to get it right. I think for um, Kayla as the lead in the comic book as well, a black female character, um, I think for me I've seen the ways that I don't like being represented in comics and I've seen, I've seen the ways that I do like being represented in comics as a black female. Um, so I, I, I definitely, um, you know, share my opinions about her aesthetics, you know, coming from a place where I'm analyzing gender and race in comic strips, but also coming from a personal place of being a black female misrepresented um, in in media. Um, I, I think that I have a lot to offer as far as the writing for, for Kayla. Um, and so I would say that would be, you know, my, my take on, you know, any pressure that I might feel in, in writing in writing these characters, I think I would feel I feel a little bit of pressure with Jonah just striking that balance that we talked about earlier um, of not making him stereotypical, but also making sure we add those elements that a, a, a kid with Down syndrome would actually experience, you know, um, in in his day to day life. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and something that I that you, you start to grapple with and. You know the 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 big thing is is like there's you know and I can't think of the name of it. There's a there's an independently produced comic, been out for a couple of years now where the lead character is Down syndrome. I wish I could remember the name of it. I can't. Um, but uh, you know that's so there's like two superheroes that I know of, two comic books that I know of that have characters who have Down syndrome, and and which is great. The flip side to that is that those characters then take on a tremendous amount of of, of weight, and and and, a, and they mean a lot more to people. Um, when I was writing Cyborg for DC, I, I discovered this firsthand because it was like there were so many people who related to Cyborg on so many different levels, whether it was as a, as a black guy or as a nerd or as um, or someone with disabilities, and like that character meant so much to so many people, and part of that was because there's so few characters that touch upon all of these things, right? And for me, personally, the thing that I've learned is 
if if I I have to be aware of it, I have to work towards it, but it will also it can also be really really problematic um, because no one character is going to be all things for all people, and 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 there's always going to be that person or those several people who don't like the way you write a character or, or don't like, you know, the, the, the black teenage girl that you're writing isn't, isn't them, isn't enough of them, and they get upset with you. Or, or you know, what, there, there's a million things that, that, that can happen, and I've experienced a ton of it. And so I just sort of, you know, I move forward. I try not to, you know, let the negative criticism get to me too much. I, I also try not to let the positive criticism get to me too much because um, both can give you an, an, an unrealistic sense of yourself and your abilities, and, and you just sort of hope for the best. And, you know, I, I get a lot of crap from some of my peers um, because, like, I keep saying, I'm, I'm not looking to be a leader. You know, I'm looking to do the best I can. I, I love to help people. I love to teach, but... You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be something more. If people project that onto me, then I, I, I deal with it. Um, but it is kind of, it, it, it's, you know, you're sitting in a room. I mean, that's the thing I love about Lion Forge. I can't speak for Sheena. But we were at a, um, you know, at an editorial retreat last month, and I'm looking around the room at the talent, and it was like, it was the first time I was in, in any meeting room ever in, in my entire life in terms of like sort of an employment situation where I was not either the only minority or like one of two minorities. It was like just about everybody in that room was, was you know, I think there was only one white guy in the room, I think, to be honest <laughs> with you, you know. And um, like that felt so great. And it felt like, oh, you know, now I can just, for the first time in a long time, I felt like I just get to be a writer right now. And, and, and again, because I, I, the writer in me versus the, you know, you know, social justice advocate, whatever, you know, I might choose to call myself, they're all so bundled together that I don't necessarily think about being more of one or the other. It's just like, well, I'm just me. And, and it all either comes through or it doesn't come through and some people love me and I think there's probably an equal number of people that hate me and the people that love me, I say thank you and to the people who hate me, I say, yeah, I really haven't given you a reason to hate me, but if you want, I could, you know? Well, I mean, I guess one of the follow-up questions I would have to that, though, is that, like, I mean, we all sort of have... Like, there definitely is the problem that you were sort of describing in terms of, like, when you don't have a wide variety of representation, there's a lot of more weight in each character, which means that, you know, if a particular character is doing one thing and not another, then it's harder for folks to process that because they want to have everything and they have so little to choose. You know, there's so little there, so little available. Um, but, you know, I guess it's the question is sort of like when you are, you know, like you did with... Um, with Jonah on this comic, um, you know, like when you're dealing with characters that are definitely outside the personal experience, like, 
you know, you have really interesting indigenous characters in uh, Avengers, for example. Like, you know, like you're also representing people, you know, outside of yourself and that there, like there, there's, there's criticism, there's criticism, right? Like there's yeah. criticism that's based around, you want things to be a certain way for your own emotional edification. And then there's criticism based on like, actually this is playing into certain tropes or this is actually not factually what this means in my culture or, you know, things along those lines. And it, it's particularly hard, like when there are not enough characters to choose from in the first place, uh, because you you know we want to be able to have space to have like eighty different kinds of LGBTQ characters, so that like you can have that asshole without it being like oh all people like this are bad or whatever. But that there are, but that but that there is additional considerations when you're entering new characters in that field. And I suppose I you know I I know like from the work that you guys did with um, the foundation on this comic, like I know that you guys are thinking about that when it comes to Down syndrome folks. But I wasn't sure how you were approaching it with um, other demographics that are, you know, outside of our, or your experience. And because I also like, I get like the the whole, like, Oh, this character can't have anything wrong with him is not, is also boring and a trope in and of himself. Right. But that there's a difference between a flawed character or a character whose flaws might be feeding into specific stereotypes without looking at ways in which that might be formed by the cultural that they're in, whatever. I'm talking a lot, but I think you get where I'm headed on this. <laughs> yeah, I think the criticism the criticism is really unavoidable when you are um, writing characters who are underrepresented because people have expectations because they don't see themselves on a regular basis in comics or in or in different forms of media. Um, And so when people are coming in with those expectations or coming in with an idea of how they want to see this character portrayed because they want it to speak, you know, directly to their lived experience, um, you know, there's going to be criticism there because you can't please everyone. But when you're writing someone who is outside of your lived experience, um, two things. One, you have to do your research and two, if there are people behind the scenes um, that are experiencing or have experience based on the character that you're writing, you have to listen to those people in the room. So um, like David said at our last writer's retreat, it was a very diverse, um, you know, uh, cast of talent. Um, but even within those settings behind the scene, if you're the only female in the room or you're the only black female in the room with um, a bunch of, you know, men or e- even black men, it's important that those people listen to the, the the person in the room that's saying, hey, this might not be the best thing to do with this character, and I'm telling you this um, because of my own personal experience um, uh viewing and consuming uh, media that has misrepresented me in different ways. So I think doing your research um, and also um, having people to talk to in the room when you're writing to say, hey, that might not be the best thing to do with this this character um, is important. And, yeah, you know, and I agree 100% because it's interesting. The um, uh, going back to Occupy Avengers, I, I knew that at some point I wanted to bring this character, Wheels Walensky, onto the team. He's like a really obscure Marvel character from the 80s. He's in a wheelchair, hence the name Wheels. And, uh, 
and and so I you know I I pushed to get him on on the team, and then and I'm going to sound like you know one of those tools for saying this, but I realized like okay, you know I read every comic with Wheels Walensky in it. There was never an explanation as to why he was in a wheelchair or what his first name was, and and so I was you know and he was a character who was so obscure that most people didn't know who he was. So at the risk of being one of those people who says, oh, so I have a black friend. Um, I actually <laughs> used to do a lot of volunteer work through the Muscular Dystrophy Association. So I've worked with a lot of kids who are in, in wheelchairs. Most of them have muscular dystrophy or, or, um, or some other neuromuscular disorder. And, and most of them are, are like in their late teens, all the way through their mid-20s now. And I've, I've stayed friends with quite a few of them. And so I reached out to all, to all of them, and I said, look, I'm writing this character in a comic. He's in a wheelchair. I, I, my only question is, as a, if you were to read this comic, would you want to know specifically why he was in a wheelchair, or would you, want me, or do, would you prefer to, know, to leave it to your imagination? Mm. And, and, you know, and I was waiting to see what the response was, and every single person I asked said the exact same thing. They said, I don't want to know why he's in the wheelchair. And I, and I asked them, I said, okay, why? And they said, because if I, if I know the specifics and you get it wrong, I'm going to really hate you. But if oh. you just have him in a wheelchair, I can just sort of fill in the blanks and do whatever I want with that character. And, and, and I was so surprised at how they said it. And, and, and to, my, to the credit, you know, these are my friends and, and, and maybe – other people would have answered differently, but I, I took that and I and I went with it because I was like, okay, you know, I kept going. I was leaning to the, okay, I got to give him a diagnosis, which means I'm going to have to, you know, uh, you know, figure it all out. Does he have a neuromuscular disorder? Was he hit by a car? What is it? You know, and and every single one of my friends said the same thing. They said, for me to really relate to this character, I I don't need a lot of specifics. So the more specific you're going to get, the, the more it's going to take me out of, of, of feeling a connection with them. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, you know, and that, that's just one example. I, I, I reach out to other creators and sometimes just friends, you know. Um, I was writing a book um, for, for Dynamite. When I was writing the sequel to, to Shaft, there was, a, there was a character in it. I, I wanted to deal with, in the original Shaft novels, the character is really homophobic, and I wanted to deal with that without condemning Ernest Tidyman in the earlier books. Um, at the same time, I wanted to write Shaft as a homophobic person and then have him grow out of that. I want to show mm. his evolution. And, man, let me tell you, what <laughs> was like... I had to sit down, and again, at the risk of sounding like that person. So I reached out to all my gay friends. I've got a gay friend. Um, no, but I reached out to a bunch of people that I knew and said, this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is how I'm going to go about it. What do you think? And, and there was a lot of back and forth. And, and the one thing that all of my friends kept warning me was, there's a really good chance people are going to label you as being homophobic if you write a homophobic character. And I was like, I'm fine with that. I was, I was like, you know I'm not homophobic, right? And they were like, yeah. And I said, okay, so let's, I'm just going to do this. And, and, but again, this goes back to what Sheena was talking about. Like, it, like, how hard is it to talk to people? 
You know, how hard is it to reach out to them? And if you don't know somebody, say you're writing a, you know, a character who's, you know, whatever they, they, you know, they've got type two diabetes. You can go on Twitter and go, hey, I'm writing a character with type two diabetes. I need to talk to some people. Can you, you know, and 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 you're going to meet people. Like social social media has made that possible. But there's really no excuse for you to just go, oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a queer character who's just for the sake of having one, and then like not even giving them any sense of humanity. They just mm-hmm. are simply, again, they're a prop, you know. And and that to me is like as that's the laziest form of creativity. So you know, I was a I am a big fan of your shaft. Um, I, I only read like the second like imitation of life series, but you know, I, I, I have been very critical about the way some other writers have um, written homophobic characters in their work. And you did a great job. Um, and you, like, it was very clear to me that you were writing a character who was homophobic, but that the story wasn't homophobic. And, you know, I'm not a gay man of a certain age, so it's not like this is my, you know, personal story to say yes or no to, because, you know, this is very much the story about a young gay man who goes to the city in the seventies works in the sex industry tragedy happens. Like that's, that is a trope, but it's also a trope because that's a real story that people lived and that society and society like made that be the case for so many people. But um, I feel like it was very clear to me what you were doing and that the story wasn't homophobic. The character was homophobic um, and that the gay characters in the story were all very human and that you know but you but you also and this is also important like you also didn't make it seem like you're turning the homophobia in like to a spec into a spectacle itself um and you know and when i think about a lot of the criticisms that people have voiced for i mean whatever i'm just gonna say it like for doug hyken's thing (laughs) doug hyken's comic is like it's that you know, like he's saying that he's do, and I'm not. I'm not expecting you guys to criticize him. I'm speaking as myself. Like he's ex, he's ex saying, like, oh look, I'm representing these bigoted people, but that's not me. But the way he is representing them is bigoted, and the way, even if he's not saying that that's his intent, even if that isn't what he wants to say, that is what it's coming across as. Um, so you can just you can have you can have characters in stories be homophobic, and we will understand that as being within the story, and you can have it be um, a story in which terrible things are happening to people and it can be done in a way that isn't like sensationalizing violence against people. Um, and, and like, the, like the, in some ways, like I hadn't really put these two things together till you, till you brought it up, but like, this is a, this is a, an, an example of like all the things that he claims that he's doing and isn't doing when it comes to representation. I was like, no, Doug, Neil Kaiken, you actually did all of these things wrong. And here's an example of showing that you can do these things without it being not just offensive, but like, you know, in, in, in dangerous to people who are already like in incredible, incredible straits at this point in time. Um, and I could go on about that, but, uh, but yeah, well, it's, it's, know- it's such a good counterexample. It's, it's interesting because nobody wants to be told that they're 
you know, hey, you've done something wrong or you've done something bad, um, and, and, you know, and I've been on the receiving end of that so many times in my life, and and a lot of times it's not necessarily, you know, this is always the argument over intent versus perception, you know, and and you have to, um, you have to be open, you know, like like we all have to be open to evolving and growing as human beings, otherwise, you know, what's, I mean, that's just part of my own personal philosophy in life. So um, I, I, it's like I spent my 20s and 30s really going out of my way to offend as many people as humanly possible. I mean, I was, you know, very much a, um, that sort of loud, iconoclastic sort of person. And now I'm like, I, I don't need to do that anymore. Um, I can, you know, if I push some buttons along the way, that's fine. But um that sort of being shocking just for the sake of being shocking is I leave that to younger people, um, <laughs> which I think is just, you know, that's sort of, that that's sort of the, the maturing process. Like you got to get it out of your way. Um, I, I've, I've officially become that guy who watches some movies and go, and I say to myself, Oh yeah, th- this actually is too violent. You know, I never would have mm. said that in my twenties or thirties. You know, I actually do say, wow, this is this is actually really sexist. I, you know, no thanks. I don't I don't need to partake in this anymore. You know, um, why is she dressed that way? Like, is there a reason why, you know? Yeah, is that's a sort of what I've I've, I've matured into. And, and I'm not exactly the most mature person, but, you know, <laughs> I'm working on it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had, had my mic on mute. Um, oh, so that's okay. we had like, three did we, hours. Did we lose somebody? Yeah, no, that was all me. This is what happens when I try to, to hit the mute button so you don't hear me breathing and then forgot I hit the mute button. Uh, this is what I get for a month off. Uh, oh, I mean, we've been here for the hour, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on and chatting. We don't hold, want to hold you too long because you're busy people, and you know we don't want to... Uh, yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, we always like to give our guests uh, the platform to be able to plug away, uh, let people know where they can uh, be found online, um, and you know uh, any other projects that are coming up like that. So, Dr. Howard, if you want to go first. Uh, yes. So I have uh, the Encyclopedia of Black Comics, which will be released. Um, the second week in September, so it's it's exactly what it sounds like, an encyclopedia of black comics featuring over 100 um, people, black people in the comics industry, so creators, writers, inkers, artists, um, editors, comic convention creators, um, and hopefully this is a project that will have more editions as the years go on, and half of the book features black uh, females, even black females who may not have written for any publishing companies but may have written or worked or created comics um, uh, self-publishing. So I think it's going to be a really important text published by uh, Fulcom Press. Um, and anyone listening can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Sheena Howard. I have a webpage, SheenaCHoward.com. And I'm on Facebook at Sheena C. Howard. 
And for me, um, let's see. Well, working on Superb for Lion Forge, uh, working on doing some Planet of the Eight stuff for uh, Boom, which is actually honestly the most fun I've had writing comics at this point in my career. Um, I'm writing Luke Cage for Marvel, and I think that's all I can legally talk about right now. Um, uh, it's hitting it, at something on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I just I just turned in a manuscript <laughs> for original graphic novel that I can't talk about, and it doesn't come out for a year and a half, and it's really frustrating. But um, but it's 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 the most daunting and um, fulfilling project I've I've worked on. It's and it's it's epic, but um, I can't talk about it unfortunately. Um, but on Twitter, I'm uh, David Walker twelve zero one, and on Facebook, it's uh, David Walker Writer. I've got a I've got sort of a I guess it's a fan page or something. I don't know, um, but that's the that's that's the, the best places to reach me. I have a website that I have not updated in seven months, maybe eight months. So I got to get cracking on that. And uh, and I am launching a web comic within the, uh, before this year is up. So, Very awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an, an amazing conversation. I've had fun and learned a ton. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you Thanks for having me. It's been us. fun. Yep, we'll d- definitely have to have you back. Uh, maybe when Please, the volume yes. wraps up and we can go chat first and second. Yes, cool. your listeners should go get superb. Buy superb, yes. yes. If your comic store doesn't stock it, tell them they should go contact Lion Forge and stock it, as well as yep. Noble yeah. and the other wide range of ex Lion Forge comics available to you. And you can go <laughs> and they're all on Comicsology. That's what I was oh, about to say. Yeah. You can get at Comicsology, which I was go grab the and put that up. Thank you. So I'm just going to take a second uh, to remind folks that FlameCon. Is going to be the is coming up in just two short weeks. Um, FlameCon is the largest and the bestest LGBTQ geek conference, um, and it's on the 9th and 20th of August in New York City at the New York Marriott at Brooklyn Bridge. Um, tickets are still available. Tickets are very affordable. This is a very cheap con. I think it's like 40 bucks a day. Um, Go get your tickets right now. And this is the greatest con experience you will ever have. And just speaking as an LGBTQ person, it's one of the most, it's like the most inclusive queer space I have been to. And I've been out and in queer spaces since I was like 16 years old. Okay. So that's really a big deal. Really tremendous. I hope to see many folks at flame con. You can go to F L A M E C O N um, online. Get yourself tickets. I will be leading some sessions on on comics and activism. Um, and so hopefully I will see some of you at those. And we have, even if you don't come to my sessions, which you should come to, uh, you should definitely come to the con because it's fantastic. Just so much fun. It's such a great environment. Really fantastic top, top, top of the line guests and all the best people. Yeah, this is one I'm going to definitely, I need to go at some point. Mm-hmm. Never been. You, you talk it up. I'm intrigued. So, we'll find a year I'll go. We can do you know, straight guy at the flame con. I think it would be kind of fascinating. 
Yeah, I'm, there's definitely I, straight dudes there to just not. Oh, you know, I know. I, I have a feeling I would love it. Like, one, it would be yeah. eye-opening, and two, I would feel like a pig in shit checking out new stuff that I don't see anywhere else. And Yeah, it'd be, definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely really great FCX indie too. comics. Great indie yeah. comics, great merch, all the best artists, really awesome panels. Like, last year, Chris Claremont confirmed that, we, as we all know, that Kitty Pride and Rachel are both women who love women. Um. Yeah, you, you, you're not going to get that anywhere else, so yep. come on down. Yeah. And then, yes, for me, um, you can find me online, as always, uh, at Elana, E-L-A-N-A, underscore Brooklyn, on Twitter, all the goddamn time. Uh, I just <laughs> had that piece on Lion Forge at Comics Beat, but I will be having a piece on the new Mr. Miracle comic this week at Graphic Policy, my normal home. Yes, that's so good. I just read it today. I so dug it, good. so... Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank God. I'm the only one that thought that. Um, I'll ping you online. We can t- discuss that after. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's great to feel uh, to be back. Uh, those who came in to the show, want to listen to it again, thought it kicked ass and want to share it with people, that stuff. You can go and it'll be on iTunes in a few hours. It'll be on Stitcher in a few hours. It'll be on SoundCloud on Tuesday and on our site, Graphic Policy uh, Tuesday as well. Uh, then we're doing a new thing where I'm also posting it on YouTube on Saturday. So you can spend your weekend, a nice relaxing morning listening to uh, the show through YouTube. Um, but the big thing is uh, don't just share it and listen to it again. Please like rate it, give it five stars uh, and um, you know, praise it. It helps us a lot. Um, you can, if you read the show, if you like comics, you check us out every single day at graphic policy. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent and easy to find. As always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.